Hey, I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into our conversation. And then this morning, we want to particularly pray for those who are sick in their body and who those who just need a touch from Jesus Christ at Nazareth this morning. So I'm going to welcome my friend. He's my best friend. Comes to church with me every week and actually leaves a building with me too. So I'm going to invite my friend, Holy Spirit, to come to be among us and to presence himself among us. Is that okay? If you're comfortable with it, you can put your hands out. It's not a denominational thing. It's just a totally scriptural thing. It's totally in the Bible. You ought to... Um, raise hands up, holy hands up every day without anger, without wrath. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. We join through the church, through the ages, for thousands of years, and we say, come Holy Spirit. Come Spirit of Christ. Come Spirit of God. To come present yourself among us. Would you make Jesus real to us today? Make him um, just a li- little bit closer to us so that we would see, know, and touch, and see that God is good. And God, we just pray this morning that you would show up like you always do, and you walk into this room and start to change things. In the strong name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. We're in a series called The Kingdom Culture. Uh, why this series? Because culture is really important for us. It's a set of values, goals, practices, and it is relational boundaries. If you're looking for a meaning for it, or uh, uh, sorry, a dictionary definition of it, but for us here in the vineyard, it's really, really important to us because we want to embody the kingdom culture, not the Christian culture. That may come as a shock to some of you. I don't want to embody Christian culture. Christian culture is not what I'm going after. It's a culture of the kingdom. It's King Jesus and his vision for our lives and for our communities and for us personally. I also want to go after being embodied by the kingdom culture rather than a church culture. It's so important that we, we uh, get that fixed in our minds and our thinking and also in our hearts and our understanding because it's not our job to prioritize the church. It's our job to prioritize the kingdom of heaven and God prioritizes the church. So it's really, really important. I want us to be rooted in the reality of the kingdom and we're going to explain a little about that this morning. And from that, from this reality, we want to carry everything that he gives us to do. There's a guy called Peter Drucker, smart man, writes about culture a lot. He says, culture, he's an American, so he says it this way, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I like that. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. If we uh, embody the culture of Jesus, we have a greater influence wherever we go. We represent them way better than we could if we were just trying to represent a church, a denomination, our flavor, our thing, our favorite, and also our prejudice. We are prejudiced. We do have things that we value more than other things. And so we want to value the kingdom more than anything else in the world. God's kingdom is what life would look like if Jesus was in charge. That's a simple definition of what the kingdom of heaven would look like. If Jesus was here on the earth, how it would look if he was in charge of the earth. And also not just the earth, but also your life. I said before, we have kingdoms and we have queendoms. We have our own dominions. We have our own set of rules, our own values. We have stuff that that we don't want to lay down. I have them. You have them. We've got our own kingdoms. But Jesus is asking us to prioritize his kingdom so that it gets the priority and then other things go into the place where they should be. I was out on Friday night socializing and I've got a new friend. um, um, His name is Terry Meehan. If you know him, feel free to say that I've mentioned him today in church and He'd love that, I'm sure. So we're having a conversation about politics and sport and Gay Byrne. Gay Byrne died this week. Do you watch a Late Late Show? No? Wrong audience? No? Toy Show? No? One or two. You don't know what you're missing. Okay, just write that down in your notes. Gay Byrne. 
died this week, toy show last week in November. Your life will change. So we were talking about everything, and uh, so he has this conversation out of the blue because he knows I'm a pastor, and his brother was there. His brother's a priest from Dublin, so we were having this. He, he, he probably thinks it's good that me and his brother talk because we're like, we're under the same thing, Jesus and God, right? And so he turns around to talking about the politics and talking about gay burn and, and everything else. Could I have your attention, please? And um, we're talking about that. And uh, he turns around and he says, I don't know who he says. He's got a real Tyrone accent. He says, I don't know who he says. People talk about the second coming and Jesus' return. He says, and they think you just close your eyes and you wake up someday and there he is. But he says, I'll tell you what. He says, and he uses some Greek words. I think they're Greek words and Hebrew words. And I'm not going to use them this morning. And uh, he, he says, uh, I'll tell you what, he says, all I know that he needs to come back soon and fix this whole thing. He says, he just, the whole thing's a mess. He says, Jesus just needs to come back and fix the whole thing. And I thought, that's a great biblical definition of the kingdom. The cry of the heart of humanity is that Jesus would come, not to take us away but to come back and make all things new. Not to make new things, but to make all things new. And it's very important that we get that. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in another translation it says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he's saying here, he says you can grab it. The idea of hanging fruit today. I want to give you a classic definition of what it looks like when it's near. When it's here. And then at the end of my conversation this morning, this celebration, we're going to invite you to come and to actually, in faith, come and receive from this Jesus of Nazareth who brought the kingdom so that you can taste the reality of the kingdom this morning through the laying on of hands and through somebody praying for you this morning. What does it look like in my life? What does it mean for Dungannon? What does it mean for Throne? What does it mean for my Monday morning? What does it mean for the people that are broken and battered and just disillusioned with life? What does the kingdom of heaven look like when it's near and it's hanging low and we grab it? And so I want to summarize today's conversation around three words. It is Memorial Sunday, regardless of your, your politics or your religious background. We do stop and we pause and we know that religion was no barrier when people marched over trenches hundreds of years ago or hundred years ago and gave their last breath. That, that, that doesn't, that, none of that stuff skirmishes around what, what tribe you come from. But where you come from. But, so what I want to say in that this morning is the first, the three words that I want to talk about this morning is war. I want to talk about mercy and mystery. War, mercy, and mystery. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and divine healing. And I want to really, really uh, just emphasize the word divine healing, not faith healing. Not the seventh son of the seventh son. Not somebody who has the gift of faith healing who just has some sort of, because they were born into some line and they know some hocus pocus stuff that they can pray for you. Now I'm talking about divine healing and there is a big difference. There is a big difference. Sickness, healing and health are consuming people's minds and also at the same time, unfortunately, emptying people's pockets, right? Billions, billions of pounds are spent on going beyond or going to healing, getting healing and, and getting health to, to be more youthful, right? To be more body beautiful, to be perfect. Uh, emphasis is on youthfulness and the body focus and, and exercise, which, as you can see, I'm just staying away from that because I don't want to go down that road. All right? 
and, and being healthy and being young. And, and those things in themselves are okay. The, the, the results are, and the reality is people are living longer, and, and uh, people are getting healthier, and I thank God for medicine and all that. And, and then 50 is the new 30. You'll hear me talk a lot about that next year, if you're here. In the scriptures, there's this guy called John, and he greets his friend Gaius with a common Jewish blessing. And so, oh, I forgot to offer you a Bible this morning. Well, should we open the Bible? This, there's, you're, you're going to be really uh, thrown this morning because we've been in the book of Mark, and now I'm just going to tell you to go to Third John. There's a letter written. He writes three short letters. And uh, if you're stuck with him, does anybody need a Bible? I'll throw you one or hand you one. Come grab one. And if you're unfamiliar where it is, just look up the index page. It tells you where that book is, gives you the page number, and go there. Okay, so we're going to 3 John chapter 2. This is a very normal Jewish blessing that John gives his friend. He says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that you may, that, sorry, that all may go well with you, just as you're progressing spiritually. This is a holistic sense of being well inwardly, in the body, socially, even materially. So how would we define uh, healing here through a biblical definition? So healing is the event or the process of restoring wholeness to the whole person. It's really God's shalom. It's God's shalom. It just doesn't fix broken bodies. God wants to fix broken minds. He wants you to be a whole person, that you'd be well in your thinking, in your emotions, in your body, um, in everything that you do, that there would be this shalom, this completeness to it, that God just doesn't want to uh, get you to follow him so that someday you draw your last breath and you get a ticket into heaven. Now, that is not the gospel message. The gospel of the kingdom is Jesus has come and Jesus is returning. Someday, soon, we hope that he'll fix things and make all things new. That there'll be no more pain, that there'll be no more death, there'll be no more crying, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more mistreating uh, of women, uh, and no more trafficking of people, and all that goes on in the world. That God will come and he will make all things new and make all things right. So this morning, when we talk about the shalom of God, my prayer for this, this family moment when we're gathered together is that we should expect something. Every time we gather together as the church of Jesus Christ, as the family of God, we're not just showing up here to sing some songs, to hear some guy talk, and so that you can grab a coffee and we all go home and we have a better week. There has to be more to it than that. There should be an expectation that because the kingdom of heaven is near and is at hand, that in any moment God could actually break in, walk among a grace seat, touch somebody by his Holy Spirit and heal their life in some significant way. That's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. It's not getting people into the kingdom of heaven. It's actually more that we get the kingdom of heaven into people and on the earth. Does that make sense? Great. That was an inward yes, right? I can hear it resounding all over the room. So we're expecting, and here, get this. Here's the hard part, or here's the, the more costly part for us, the vineyard, or just people that are apprentices to Jesus, disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. Now our work and our ministry, this holistic healing that Jesus talks about, that the Bible offers, that John greets his friend with, it's for us to, to engage with. It's now not Jesus' ministry, it actually becomes our ministry. How do you like that? So we're not just waiting for Jesus to return, we're actually engaging in the practice 
in the ministry of the kingdom. Like I said before, guys, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what way you've been brought up, how you've been taught. But I want to tell you, you cannot talk about a Christian gospel. Biblically, scripturally, you cannot get anywhere near the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth without talking about healing. Without talking about the peace and the presence and the shalom of God. Now the vast, vast majority of, of healings that I'm aware of comes through medical intervention, right? Are you with me? No? This is good at your heart crowd. It's going to be an awkward morning. Yeah? Yeah, it comes through medical intervention. If somebody has appendix problems, they go to the hospital and they have their appendix removed, right? Solution. Somebody has a problem, there's a solution. Uh, we have assistance through therapists, right? Through medication. Also, mental health today, which is a big epidemic in our world. People are more anxious than ever before. Not just adults, but sadly, the number of children that are accessing social services for, for mental health problems is absolutely staggering. It's an epidemic. And so I also thank God for therapists. We have good counselors, people that can help us to get our minds healed and to, to find solutions and to, to give us some pathways and rhythms and habits so that we can form a better lifestyle and so our anxiety can be reduced and we can live as flourishing human beings. So I'm all for that too. The vast majority of a lot of the healings that we see are happening through medical intervention. The, the more and more research, how, how, how fast and how, how much further we seem to have got. I know there's been years and years and years and years and years of, of preparation, but just some of the wonder drugs out there that are taking care of Parkinson's at the minute. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. So there is healing in medical science. We don't dispute that. But I have a question for you this morning, if it's okay to ask you a question. Outside of medicine, is there any real hope for healing? Seriously. I don't want the Christian answer. I want your answer. Is there any hope for real healing outside of medication? Of course, I'm going to say yes. Because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of anybody with an argument. And the reason I say yes is because I've experienced healing in my life. I've seen God show up and heal my body. I've also, first time I ever seen anybody really miraculously healed, I was 12 years of age. I was in the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast, had open heart surgery, um, lung collapsed. Uh, long story, I felt that there was just a battle for my life. Long story short, I was okay, and I ended up just walking around the ward. They put me in a woman's ward because there was no space in the men's ward. I think it was 24 and 25 in that old part of the Royal Victoria Hospital. And I used to go out and watch the doctors and nurses play tennis. Just giving you a bit of background detail. Detail's important, as my wife would tell you. Or you wouldn't need to know that if you had a five-minute conversation with her. You'd pick that up very quickly. Anyway. Uh, so I was walking through the ward one day, I was carrying, in those days when your lung collapsed, you carried this, like, this, this jar and this tube that went on the side of your lung and this jar bubbled, right? Anybody familiar? Yeah, keep sure. Yeah, there's a nurse in the room. And so I walked along and I walked through this, this ward and this old woman pulls back her curtain thing. Um, she says, son, would you come and pray for me? Now, she doesn't know my name. She doesn't know I have any faith or anything, but just comes and asks. And she's, she's, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but I do know one. But I, she just, she was very, very ill. She was elderly. She had open heart surgery, and it wasn't looking good. I came in, said a quick prayer, and left. Next day went past, just for a wee nosy, a gym juke, as you do. And uh, all familiar with the gym juke? Yes? No? Well, okay, there, would somebody explain to the English person what a gym joke is, please? It's not fair picking on the English person, is it? 
No, it's not. It's not. Sorry, Tom. I do apologize. A gem jerk means a quick look. Okay. What was I saying? Oh yeah, so I was walking through the walking through, and the the, the her wee area is gone. Bed's made. She's gone. So I assumed she died. Full of faith, full of hope, full of expectation, and uh, so I I found the sister. That those days you had sisters. Remember sisters? Cross woman used to make you go to bed when you should have went to bed and, and all that in hospitals. I did get shouted at one time. And um, so I said, what happened to the lady? She says, you'll never believe that she took, she actually just recovered miraculously. And this is the words I remember all those years ago. And we sent her home. I thought, no way. This stuff works. This stuff works. Yes, he does. He does heal people. And so outside of medicine, I believe that the king, because the kingdom of God is here, that we have the resource of heaven and people can be healed. So I need to give you a classic definition this morning, okay? If that's okay. I need to give you a classic definition so that we can move forward. I'm going to talk about those three words and then we're going to pray for the sick. Are you up for that? Okay, so the classic definition, healing, why healing happens is because the work of God through his kingdom. That word kingdom is a word called basileia, which means, it's a Greek word which means to rule and to reign. But it's not about a place. When we think about ruling and reigning, we think geographically, but it's not that. When you think about the kingdom of God, I want you to think about the authority of God's rule and reign. Not about a place, but the activity of God. The activity of God. God being active on the earth. That should fill your heart with a little bit more faith than maybe you came in with this morning. That we're not waiting just to die. We're not just hoping for medical intervention. And praise God for miracles and praise God for medicine, right? Yes? No? Maybe so? Yeah. So those three words again, war, sounds very aggressive, but it is in the right sense. And here's why. When we think about God's activity, I want you to think about the first word, and the first word is war. God is asserting his rule and his reign over evil. Okay? The devil rules in a world through sickness, through poverty, through injustice, addictions, violence, rape, and so on, and so on, and so on. And humanity is in fact enslaved and oppressed by all forms of evil. Evil has a kingdom. Okay, so every good story. Anybody like going to cinema? One of my favorite pastimes, right? So every good story has a good guy and a bad guy, right? Good books, good guy, bad guy. Uh, songs, writers, poems, creativity. All the stories of our day, all the narratives of our day. That's why the stories sell so well if you're into Marvel or any of those things. It's a classic example of good and bad. But this is not like the Bible stuff. We don't come up against an equal power where these two are dueling it out. No, God has won the ultimate victory. And there is another kingdom, but this kingdom is evil. But it doesn't, it's not the overriding kingdom. It's not the, the overruling kingdom. It's not the all-powerful kingdom. His kingdom has all power and all dominion. And so we must realize that there is an our kingdom. Jesus came to do many things, okay? Just so that you're with me this morning. I've asked you this question before, but I love it when people talk about Jesus, right? I mean, when you talk about the vineyard, that's okay. I mean, I quite like it when people talk about vineyard and hear good stories about vineyard, but nothing excites my heart more than when people from the vineyard talk about Jesus. That's way better. It's way better, eh? If you want to be brand loyal, be loyal to King Jesus of Nazareth and talk about him all the time. So what did he come to do? Tell me, some of the things that Jesus came to do. You've got to go fast because we're 15 minutes behind today. Since you, you're 15 minutes behind every week. Okay, help me out here. What's some of the things Jesus of Nazareth came to do when he came to the earth? 
Hele sæk. Oh, shut up, will you? That was the answer. But just forget about that. Sorry, what did you say? All right, uh, thank you. As a Scotchman, he is counting. Okay, so fast forward. We got all the answers from you beautiful people out there. Yeah, John 10, 10. The thief comes to kill, to, to steal and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. He's come so that you might have life. You see, the life with God, eternity, this is what I've learned. I wish I had learned this when I first fell in love with Jesus of Nazareth. The life of God, eternity, is not about the length of time, but the quality of life. It's not about the length of time, but the quality of life. And you can't promise that, Jason. Well, yes, I can. It's not about having stuff, by the way. It's not about being more successful and being more powerful. It's actually there's more to life than having stuff. Jesus offers us a life to the full. And therefore, I'm banking on his words. Everything he's told me to date has come true. Every promise he's given me has come to pass. He is totally dependable. Yes, stuff happens in life and it's brutal and it hurts and it's painful. But Jesus is still true. He's still good all the time. And so when he says, I've come to give you life, he's talking about a quality of life. Not how long you live. God's kind of life, the quality of life is a free life. See, when we go to India, I, I never preach. I never say to somebody, you know, what, what you should do in a village right now is give your life to Jesus because someday when you die, you're going, to be, uh, you're going to have a better life. When every day they wake up and they face hell. Possible they've been raped by going to the toilet at night. Poverty, feeding their children, just making, uh, just having enough daylight hours so they can actually do something, just having enough food so they can actually eat, just being able to survive, to get, get a headache gone would be an actual miracle when we can walk to the shop and buy a paracetamol. So Jesus comes, not to say your life's going to be, eternal life is about living forever in heaven. No, Jesus has come to say that while you're on this earth, I want your life to be freer. I want your life to be better. He's come so that you would have life. And then as David said, he's, he's uh, quoting John again in 1 John 3.8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Or the work of the devil. That's a powerful text, isn't it? Think about it. It's like it's, it's war. He's come to destroy the works of the enemy. It's a powerful text knowing, that we, knowing what we know now that the kingdom works and transforms people and places. Right? Apprentices of Jesus of Nazareth, this has now been transferred to us, the church. Do you get that? Then Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Now that work is, Jesus' work is transferred to us so that we would destroy the devil's work. How do we do that? We do, well, one of the ways that we do that is by driving out sickness, by healing the sick, by feeding the poor, clothing the naked, going after injustice. Those are some of the things to do. The problem is that we... That we've made the gospel, it's evangelio, this political word, too small. And so we've domesticated it and we've tamed God and we, we want to tame the Holy Spirit into the way that we do church because we have preferences of how we do church. And we all do. I have a preference how I want to see church. I like the way we do church. Is it biblical? Most of it, yeah, but some of it, no. You'll never find having coffee and tea after a sermon in the Bible. Doesn't exist. Sorry. Doesn't tell you to play a guitar, nor to play an organ. It doesn't tell you whether you have signs or screens 
or books or pages. There's none of that there. That's all our preference. That's all our style. It's just how families live together. Right? And then because of that, because we have our preferences and our style, then what we want to do with them, with God, we want to preference Him. Here, can you imagine? Jesus, do you want to come to church with us this morning? But here's what we're going to do, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit there, and your friend, Holy Spirit, that just weirds us all out, could you sort of just keep him? Keep him at bay, like... like because we have, we just, we've, brought, we've taken a risk, Jesus. We've brought somebody to church today, and I do not in any way want you to muck this up. How many people ever feel like that by bringing somebody to church for the first time? It's just me? Not you? So I, I think we've, we've, we've domesticated him. See, the Spirit of God is for more than just personal sanctification. He's actually... A force, a powerful force, is actually not, that's a very, very bad per description. Wipe that from your mind. He's a person, he is God, but he moves with force. A love, a kindness, a gentle force to bring the goodness and the kingdom to us. And we're called together in the Ecclesia. We're called for one thing, to set people free. To see people and places set free. That's the nature of the church of Jesus Christ. The one calling of Christianity, let me tell you, Christianity could be summed up in one word, freedom. Freedom. That's what he's about. See, God doesn't come to earth to give us rules and regulations. God is not about what you shouldn't do. Actually, the church should be more about what we should do, what we shouldn't do, okay? You know what it's like. You ever go into your workplace and people know that you're a Christian and they tell you what you shouldn't be doing? I love it. Especially when you pee them off, don't they? Oh, you can't say that. You know that? Or you're watching a match and you want somebody to have a slight injury. Not, not that it would threaten their life in any way, but just enough to keep them out for the next game. And you voice that and the person says, hey, you, you can't do that. You are Christian. Right? But the life of the Christian is more about what we are to do rather than what we're not allowed to do. And for so long in Ireland and Northern Ireland, we've grown up with a gospel that tells us you can't do this, you can't go there, you can't say that, you can't do this. And we're all just people that can't do anything and won't do anything. And God has called us to live free, to be untamed with this untamed Holy Spirit and bring the freedom here, near and far. We have to do what Jesus did the way that Jesus did it. We have to teach the way that Jesus taught the way that Jesus taught. We have to live what Jesus lived the way that he lived it. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be apprentice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do you want me to say that again? Here's the simplicity of the gospel. We have to do what Jesus did, the way he did it. We have to teach what Jesus taught, not what I preference, not what I like, but what Jesus taught, the way he taught it. And we have to live the way that Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived this life when he came as a 30-year-old prophet rabbi and walked this dusty road. We've got to live just exactly the way that he lived. Every part of it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not something to be read and studied to be a hobby. He's actually somebody to be lived. Lived out in society. Healing is war because we confront the enemy and we destroy evil in all its forms. I love that. I love that. Jesus responded to a request from his apprentices. They wanted to learn how to pray one day. They said, hey, we're listening to John's disciples and they're pretty good at the old praying, but anybody ever struggle with prayer? And you want to get better at it? Yeah. Well, the Bible says that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, so I guess you could do it too. So Jesus gives them a template. 
We call it the Lord's Prayer. I call it the Disciples' Prayer. But sometimes when I'm really feeling quite smart, I call it the Warrior's Prayer. And the reason why I call it the Warrior's Prayer, because when Jesus said to them, he said, okay, you've asked for this prayer. I want you to begin this way. Here's the template. Ask for my kingdom to come on earth. Didn't he say that? Your kingdom, your will be on as it is in. Remember that. So it's Dungan on earth. Tyrone, your school, work, street. So you want the kingdom to come where you live, where you work, where you school, where you walk the streets, where you go to the pub, where you go to the club, wherever you go. You want the kingdom to come, right? Because you've just asked him. You've, if you've ever prayed that prayer, you've just become, guess what? Here's what's happened. Let me just let you know. You might not realize it, but you are both the arrow and the target of that prayer. Do you get it? You see, you've said, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does it happen? Through you and me. We become the answer to the prayer that we've just prayed. We become the partnership to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And our job is to destroy the works of the enemy. Are you with me? Any of this making sense? Good. So, is there sickness in heaven? No, I don't think so. Child abuse? Poverty? Addiction? Injustice? Just checking. So when we ask for the heaven peace to come to earth, what does that look like? Sickness? Injustice? Human trafficking? No. None of that. The target, we become the solution. Healing means war, it's a battle. When you were born again by the Spirit of God, this might flip your mind slightly. It always flips my mind, tilts my mind. We're actually partnering with God to minister to a broken and battered world. Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, has won the war, and we're here on earth to enforce the victory until he returns and makes all things new. Healing is war, but I love the next part. We're going to finish up very soon. Healing is mercy. I've been so struck by that this week. Healing is mercy. I think Brian prayed it in the prayer room. He talked about compassion. The mercy of God. The kindness of God. In Mark 1, there's this beautiful story. We didn't get to it. We missed it. But let me, we're, we're good to go today. We're in the, we were in this chapter for the last three weeks. Mark's gospel. But here we are. He says in Mark 1, 40, just to save time, let me read it out. A leper came to him begging on his knees. He says to him, if you want, Jesus, if you're willing, if it's a will of God, then you can cleanse me. I want you to remember that. If you're willing, if it's a will of God, if you're, if you're offered, if you can do it, you will do it. Maybe you'd do it. Would you do it? That's what he's saying. But we forget, sometimes we read the scriptures with no emotion. You've got to read the historical Jesus. Jesus was a 30-year-old. Get your mind around this. Jesus was a 30-year-old rabbi who walked this earth. He ate. He drank. A lot. He had a reputation. A drunkard and a glutton. He got that reputation because he was either going to a party or coming from a party. He was always constantly eating, right? He was always at a table. So he was a 30-year-old rabbi. And so we need to read it with the historical Jesus in mind. When you do that, you'll fall in love with Jesus Christ of Nazareth all over again. That's why we love to tell the stories of Jesus. So this man, he he risks getting 39 lashes whooped on his skin 
because he goes out in public with a contagious disease. That's a culture. That's a culture Jesus is walking in and also the culture Jesus is ministering in. It's mad, isn't it? Absolutely mad. So in this case, he's, he's up close and personal with a 30-year-old rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. And in the Talmud, it's a Jewish tradition. There's a rabbinical teaching part of it. There, there are stories there, historical stories, okay? Not Bible stories, but actually historical writings of rabbis boasting about stone and lepers that came into public. They're like, let me tell you a story. This guy came into this place and I saw him. When I saw him, there's some rocks there and I stoned him. And they're boasting, they're showing off about it. That's a, it's a very inhumane culture, very dark culture. So Jesus' reputation gets out and the leper heard about it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And in this case, hearing about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's cool when we hear stories of Jesus. Doesn't it do something for you? Doesn't it make you feel alive again in your faith when you hear stories of Jesus? Faith rises in your heart. So here he is. He's at the feet of a 30-year-old rabbi prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, if you're willing, if you want, you can heal me. That's a question. So I want to pose that question this morning to you. Because it's a question all of us will face from time to time. Through disappointment through pain, through heartache, through when it seems that you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying, you've prayed your best prayers, you've done everything you know to do, you've lived a life that's holy and, and, and godly and God hasn't come through. And if you're human at all, you're bound to ask the question, is it really God's will to heal? Is he, does he really want to do it? Is he actually willing to come to show up and to heal? But I love this story. And I think this story gives us the answer this morning. It says, Jesus moved with power, right? Jesus was moved with power. I'm jesting. Jesus moved by what? Compassion. Mercy. He touches him. In that culture, when we read the word touch, we imagine it like some sort of, like when Jesus prays for the sick, that it's a bit like, Anybody ever watch E.T.? Anybody got TV? <laughs> Anybody ever been to cinema? It's a whole experience. It's a big screen at the front. You pay your money to go in, sit down. It's brilliant. Yeah, well, E.T. is one of my favorite movies. Do you remember it? We got it out in Betamax at the time. Do you remember the Betamax tips? Tapes? you remember you had a video player and you put your tape in? Okay, I'll keep moving on. And so when we think about Jesus, we sometimes think of him as like, like an E.T. moment where he comes to people and he puts out his finger and he, he touches them and the light and the power comes on and he touches them in the forehead and they experience something, right? But that's not the gospel. It's not the biblical Jesus. It's not the historical Jesus. In culture, when we read about touch, I want you to, it's not what we imagine in our Western thinking he probably, and I can't say this for fact, but I have a good hunch that because of the historical context of when it says touch, if you go to that word touch, it actually means to embrace or to hug. To embrace and to hug. And again, this is this beautiful Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When there's a leper, when he could get, the leper could get stoned. When Jesus touches him, he's now unclean. Jesus is could get 39 lashes. The whole thing is a mess. The whole thing is out of control. The whole thing's embarrassing. And here is Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, 30 years of age, and he possibly grabs this leper who has a skin condition. And he 
wraps his arms around him and embraces him. See, healing is the mercy of God. Jesus is a very representation of the Father, yes or no? Yeah, Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. That means he reveals God's nature, right? Help me. He reveals God's nature. God's in heaven. He's just mimicking his Father. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. He's the exact representation of, of God in heaven. He takes on the very nature of God, Philippians tells us. He leaves heaven, right? He's the very nature of God, and he comes to earth. So everything that he does represents exactly what God the Father would do in heaven. Are you with me? So there's a representation here. There's a, there's, a, there's a direct correlation of this might be the nature of God. This looks like the nature of God. And so when he embraces this leper, this is the kindness and mercy of God. Healing is the mercy. And you could conclude, I would say, that you can conclude when this man says, if you're willing, that the response and the action of Jesus Christ of Nazareth would tell you that God is willing to heal. That's the will of God. Think about it. Let me play the other side of the coin here. If it wasn't the will of God, and this was, this was recorded in the ancient scriptures, in the manuscripts of scriptures, that survived years and years and years, right? That's God breathed. And this question, are you willing to heal? If it wasn't in the nature and the character of God, you think this story might look a little different? Yes. Jesus answers the question with action and compassion. Healing is the mercy of God. Healing is the mercy. You have to conclude. You have to conclude when Jesus says you're willing that the response and the action from this rabbi that he is willing, not only is he willing, but he's able. Because that's what happens. Okay, so we're more or less done. I just want to talk about one other thing. It's war. It's mercy. But I want to be very, very honest with you this morning. I did not want to sell you a pup. I am not a salesman. I'm an apprentice of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's a mystery. We live in between two ages. We are in a battle. Healing is also a mystery. He said the kingdom is near, it's here. And he also says that it's coming too. That someday he will come and he will bind up every broken heart and every fractured body and every broken mind. He'll do that. And so it's in this moment that we call the already and the not yet. The future has come in principle to break in and to break the back of Satan, that war thing. But it hasn't come fully until he returns. The mystery is important, church. The mystery is important. It affects the whole way we live life. It explains why sometimes people are not healed. It describes sometimes why somebody that you've never met in your life, all of a sudden a stranger that you pray for and they're miraculously healed in a moment. And then you pray for that loved one, you fast, and you do everything that you know to do, and they die. It gives us a reason in some way. It doesn't heal our pain. I'm not going to tell you that. Time is not the healer. Ask anybody who's broken. Is time a healer? Heck no. Heck no. Our hearts are not designed to deal with some of the things that the human heart has to deal with. But our job 
is not to find out the why. Our job is to simply be obedient. To go to war against this, the, the kingdom of Satan. To go with war in a powerful way yet in such a compassionate way where the mercy of God floods our lives and our hearts where we move out of compassion. Not out of getting a new story for somebody being healed. Not out of the vineyard getting a name. But actually we have compassion and mercy in our hearts just like Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We want to be like him and become like him and do the things we do. And if we want to do all those things that we simply call apprenticeship then we must become compassionate people. Move with compassionate. We don't control healing. You can't reduce it to a formula. That's a mystery. God refuses to be controlled, people, and domesticate it. Healing is still the mystery. So let's minister to one another. Let me finish with this. James 5, 13 to 16. He's talking about a church service. So James is just chatting. He doesn't know that we're going to be someday gathered in the back of the old well where store. In BT 716 AA. He doesn't know that we're coming up the hill on a Sunday morning, that we'd even meet on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. But he writes these words and he gives us a description of how a church should function. And years later, here we are, and this is the model James 5 13 to 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Just throwing it out there. Let them sing songs of praise. Okay, so we've prayed today. Yes? Help me, Jesus. Have we prayed today? Have we sung today? Okay. And then just throws it in randomly. Is anyone among you sick? Maybe. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. That just means leaders. And anoint them with oil in the same, sorry, in the name of Jesus. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. Oh, I forgot about that part. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why don't you just go and confess your sins to each other now, just as I get ready to pray. In all seriousness, James' expectation for an ordinary church life, an ordinary church life, not a vineyard church life, not a Catholic church life, not a Presbyterian church life, Methodist, free, independent, not the Baptist church life, not whatever denomination out there. His definition of a biblical church life is that we have singing, worship, prayer, praise, and healing for the sick. It's just normal. In the normal church service, in the normal church life, that there should be praying for the sick and there should be healing of the sick. Would you agree with that? It's not a vineyard gig, people. This is totally biblical. It's totally biblical. R.T. Kendall says, we have a right, not a mandate, to pray for the sick. If not a mandate, sorry. I believe there's real sense in which we are called to pray for the sick. God can cure cancer as easily as he can heal a cold. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to practice the ministry of healing. You up for it? Why don't you stand? You've got to start somewhere, okay? You've got to start somewhere. So we've got to start praying for healing. Or ministering healing. Let me just give you some very practical things. Jesus is the model. There is no formula. 
Jesus never waited for healing to come. He simply healed people and prayed for people. Jesus commanded healing to come. We don't claim healing, but we anticipate it. There's an expectation in our hearts. That's what we must believe. So, if you want to do this on a Monday morning, if you want to take on the ministry of Jesus, because if the kingdom is near, it's at hand, then your job and my job is now to, that ministry of Jesus is transferred to the church, all the church, everyone, to call upon the name of Jesus, and then our mandate is to push back the enemy lines by destroying the works of the devil and by being the mercy of God to a broken world. And in that, there's mystery. So I'm going to give you some top tips. You ready for it? Here's the long prayers that Jesus prayed. Take up your mat and walk. It's a very long prayer, isn't it? Go. Come forth. Be clean. So what we do, and there's a model for prayer. We want to locate the sick person. That's what we're going to do in a minute. We're going to place our hand on a person's shoulder. We're going to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. If you want to be really fancy, in the name of Jesus, leg be healed, if it's a leg. Ask him, are you feeling better? If it's completely healed, praise God. If it doesn't feel better, go to step five. Repeat steps, one to four. Are you with me? You just have to start. Today would be a good day to start. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. They're going to minister to us this morning. And this is a healing service, so we're going to Heal the sick. Whether it's sickness in your physical body or your physical body. I'm going to ask the, the worship team also to come. If you come on up, guys. We're not going to hype anything up, okay? So just relax. There's not, this is no, this is, in one way, this is no different from any other service. Because every service we do pray for sick. But today we've just been praying a little bit more. We've been going to Jesus, we've been very, we've just been allowing God to give us compassion and mercy in our hearts. And these guys have been in early this morning praying for you guys that are here this morning, that they want to see you made well, they want you to be free, they want you to experience the life that God intended you to live, so that you would live life to the full. See, the devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, right? That's his mission. It's not complicated. Jesus has come that you might have life, quality of life, not the, not the length, but the quality. And so we're, as we worship, there's no great plan. If you're sick in your body, if you're sick in your emotions, if you're emotionally not feeling good, if you're anxious, if you're over, overwhelmed by worry this morning, in any way, if you just feel that your heart is broken, that you're in pain, that your body is broken, that you're in pain, then we're going to invite you to come to my left and to my right. And just take our time, and we're going to worship together. If you don't need healing this morning, why don't you worship? Here's another thing you can do. You can pray for the people that are coming to be prayed for this morning. So let's not, this is not some sort of sport or, or sort of just something that we watch. We're not spectators. We're the family. All right? So it's very important. It's not spectators. Sport. This is family gathering together who care for one another, who love one another, who carry one another's burdens, who forgive one another, and who pray for one another so that they would be healed and made well. So I hope that that makes complete sense to you.